Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. You know the saying, the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, there are times when a picture is worth vastly more than that, and other times when a picture is worth greatly less than that. The former, a picture that is worth vastly more than a thousand words. The great Italian tenor, Andrea Bocelli, he delivered an Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday performance before no audience. He did this feat. In Milan's iconic Duomo, he said that he did this to promote love, healing, and hope to Italy and the world. But imagine this, for those of us who were not there, and no one was there. Well, there may have been a person or two. (laughs) Hopefully it was recorded. I trust that it was. But... This exceedingly great singer who has graced the stages, the auditoriums of the stage of the world now for, lo, these many years. A man possessed not only with enormous talent, greatly developed, but also spirit but a man who, when he performs, when he sings before vast audiences, he cannot see them. I have no doubt that he can sense their presence, can hear sounds and rustling and all manner of other things, and perhaps gasps occasionally throughout the audience. But he never sees them at that point in time. And here he performed in this empty stage of the world. So in a sense, there was certainly a similarity to his performances that he has given for these many years. The difference being he would not have been able to sense the presence of a vast audience. But he contributed this. He donated this for the world. A person of a different tenor, if you will, Bill O'Reilly, who you could say graced the program of his friend, his buddy, Sean Hannity, and who said the following, quote, many people who are dying both here and around the world were on their last legs anyway. And I don't want to sound callous about that, but (laughs) Sean Hannity stated that he would be getting hammered for that. Bill went on to say, quote, well, I don't care. I mean, a simple man tells the truth, end quote, a simple man. There are different meanings for simple. An arrogant, self-serving, self-honoring, self-aggrandizing, self-worshipping man tells what serves his purposes, not the truth. And yet, (laughs) 
until his departure from Fox. He was certainly greatly appreciated by many high and mighty ones who, of course, would never (laughs) choose to have the likes of myself. Instead, they prefer this ilk of commentator. But, returning to something that I referred to a couple programs ago, I believe, at least one program ago. And this is concerning what took place at Moses Taylor Hospital in Scranton, Pennsylvania. But not only there, necessarily. (laughs) But at this particular hospital, there was just this outrageous, reckless, ignorant, terrible, egregious, neglectful administration by hospital administrators such that nurses were required to provide services to the COVID-19 floor patients in addition to, simultaneously with, if you will, their duties in the neonatal intensive care unit, NICU, where they treated preemie babies, preborn babies, babies that were not thriving, babies that were delivered prematurely and that were struggling for life. There is a great number of babies that are delivered prematurely, not saved from induced abortion, but that are delivered prematurely. And NICU serves these babies and their mothers, their recovering mothers, And these babies and their mothers were jeopardized, put in harm's way, because these nurses were required, commanded, ordered to provide service to the patients on the COVID-19 floor in addition to their duties in NICU by these callous administrators. But this one nurse who happened to be pregnant and is and who is greatly concerned for the health and well-being of her baby said that she was terribly worried about these preemie babies and their mothers because these babies are immunocompromised. They have compromised immune systems because of being delivered prematurely. And she wasn't permitted to inform them, to inform the mothers that she was also working on the COVID floor. She was banned from doing that by these wonderful administrators. Furthermore, She was not provided with protective gear to protect her and her baby and thus to protect the preemie babies and their mothers. She wasn't provided with that until patients on the COVID-19 floor tested positive, which typically was several days after she first attended to them. There were 11 medical staff and union representatives who provided testimony concerning this. Seven of the nurses work at sister hospitals in Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
owned by Community Health Systems, a Tennessee company. Breathtaking. If this is taking place in Scranton, Pennsylvania, do you imagine for one single solitary moment that this is not occurring at the other hospitals owned and administered by this company and hospitals owned and administered by other companies across this nation? Do you? (laughs) Well, I spoke before concerning the greater risk the greater risk from these viral respiratory infections that is suffered by Native American Indian populations, by Alaska Native populations, indigenous people groups, and by those in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. The likes of Bill Riley would have us believe that these, along with the preemie babies and their mothers and so forth, these people are on their last legs too, right? (laughs) Even if they haven't died yet, obviously. Well, you know, they're expendable. You know Ebenezer Scrooge, who said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing badly, Let them die and diminish the excess population. Again, bad paraphrase of Charles Dickens' words. But these indigenous peoples in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, And these, in the United States of America, they have been found according to the Centers for Disease Control to have a rate of hospitalization and death three to eight times higher than the general population's as seen in the 2009 pandemic influenza A, H1N1 virus. Population groups at particular risk for genetic reasons, perhaps, for preconditioned predisposition pre-existing health conditions but it sounds to me like it goes beyond actual pre-existing health conditions to predispositions genetic vulnerability It was spoken of there being great loss of life among such populations in centuries past from coming in contact with infections that were not greatly dangerous to other populations. But speaking of these groups, these indigenous populations in North America, in Australia, New Zealand, the next wave of this pandemic 
which I referred to ever so briefly previously. The next wave is for the so-called developing world, alternately known as the third world. Nations which have not been hit particularly hard yet, but where it is extremely likely that they shall be. Nations with enormous populations like India. The nations of Africa, South America, and again throughout Asia. Spain seemingly is on the mend that is seemingly... It has experienced, suffered the worst. But who's to say that it won't have rolling shifts and so forth, like rolling blackouts? But in Spain, which is considered affluent, It is stated that for every 250 people, there is a doctor. Which would be four doctors per 1,000 people. Meanwhile, in the nation of Zambia, there is apparently only one doctor per 10,000 people. So, quite a disparity, shall we say. And likely to be found in a very, very great many countries. What does that mean? Does it mean that medical care is the be-all and end-all? Does it mean that if you have plenty of doctors, then you're going to fare much better? Does it really mean that? Possibly, but not necessarily conclusively. This particular situation that I referred to at this Moses Taylor Hospital in Scranton, Pennsylvania, it reminds me of something terrible that took place in France Long ago. Long ago. And perhaps it has no relevance to this. But on the other hand, perhaps it does. Way back, long ago in France, it was belatedly recognized that there was a gross, disproportionate mortality rate among expectant mothers who were receiving medical care as compared to those who were not. Enormously inflated mortality rate figures. And it was finally discovered after so many of these young women had lost their lives that they had unintentionally, unwittingly been murdered. No, the women weren't. I wasn't referring to them as being unintentionally and unwittingly, I'm referring to the doctors. Well, then, is it murder? Well, when it is gross negligence like this, gross stupidity, unconscionable ignorance and recklessness, then yes. What was going on was this. These women were going in for checkups 
that they didn't need more frequently than they needed. Because after all, this was a more affluent population and this was the thing to do. Just like in the United States of today, these women probably were being checked less frequently than women in places like the United States of America and the UK and Europe of today. But compared to the population at large, it was excessive, to say the least. But they were being examined. They were receiving pelvic examinations from doctors who would go directly from operating on corpses, on cadavers, to examination rooms to give internal pelvic examinations to pregnant women. Without washing, without having any sterile (laughs) safeguards in place. And wonder of wonders, more than 50% of the women die. The only wonder is that it wasn't 100%. They died directly because of medical care. Again, oh, well, what relevance does that have to do with this? Well, perhaps not. But you undoubtedly have heard that... Best doesn't seem like the right word to use, but the best place to contract a dangerous type of infection, such as a staph infection, is in a hospital. By all means, rush off to the hospital for anything and everything. There's so many people in the most highly developed countries, especially the United States of America and such, who have all manner of elective surgeries. No, I'm not referring to elective abortion, induced abortion. I could be, but I'm not. All manner of elective procedures. Non-necessary procedures. Routinely. And sometimes, Things go badly. This way, that way, the other way. And they lose their lives or what have you. Utterly needlessly. But as a direct result of receiving medical care. I could say more, but I shan't say more on that subject at this time. (laughs) Meanwhile, as I mentioned previously, the United States of America has taken its rightful place number one in the world for the most confirmed coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID-19 deaths, fatalities. And I saw something else saying that. Now, this is this is old information. This this is a few days old. But. So the United States of America, we in this. Nation, those of us who are here, if you happen to be in the United States of America. We have moved into first place. I believe for both infections and fatalities, currently holding the lead. However, again, I fully expect that this will change hands among nations, as it has been doing up to this point. Now, El Presidente, Donald Trump Sr., he opined a number of days ago that he believed that he was convinced that the United States death toll from this pandemic 
would turn out to be substantially less than 100,000. 100,000, which was the low number originally projected. But that is what he believes, or at least that's what he says. Now, whether it will turn out to be that way remains to be seen. I am not a betting man, but if I were a betting man, I would not bet that that would turn out to be the case. Meanwhile, across the pond, United Kingdom Prime Minister Boris Johnson has stated that the National Health Service has saved his life. Saved his life from COVID-19. Well, the National Health Service, of course, is socialized medicine. And as such, it is rationed medicine. And of course, decisions need to be made about what procedures are appropriate, what treatment is appropriate, and who may receive such treatment. Boris, of course, is at the top of the heap being the prime minister. We people... You know, the people of the world. We determine worth of people based on all manner of external circumstances and what have you. I think probably not exactly the same way that God views our worth. <laughs> to put it ever so mildly. To, to understate it so terribly. But So these VIPs, no matter how bad things get, no matter how dire, no matter how severely rationed care is, the most important people, the VIPs, the beautiful people, they will receive the best that modern medicine has to offer. Of course, long ago, just as I was referring to, modern medicine didn't always have the best to offer. Thinking now of first in war, first in peace, George Washington, who was effectively bled to death (laughs) by the best that modern medicine had to offer in his day. Before I continue, let me just say this. That I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. Speaking of the... National Health Service for a moment before moving on to another VIP. Perhaps you've read that or heard. Perhaps you've listened to a previous program. Perhaps this is the first time you have listened to this program and the first time that you have gone online for ever in a day for the past, uh, you know, whatever. 90 days or something. Well, none other than the great man Bernie Sanders has, of course, closed up his presidential campaign for 2020, supposedly, officially. But I wonder, is there a chance that he could be encouraged to begin again. Is there a chance? I wouldn't absolutely rule it out. But supposing for a moment that Bernie is done for 2020, that Bernie has lost the battle, I think it is very, very highly probable that Bernie and those like him, 
have won the war. Oh, Brad, what do you mean? Are you saying that the Democrat Party, that Joe Biden and the Democrat Party are going to accept and endorse and promote and espouse all of his great platform? No, not really. (laughs) That's not what I mean. And even if they did, that would still require them to be elected, right? In order to institute that. No, that's not what I'm referring to. No, what I'm referring to is something really quite different from that. Namely this. That no matter how things seem at this point in time, that while it may appear that we are right in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, this military battle versus the COVID-19 pandemic. While it may appear that way, I would suggest that perchance This is actually, if not the calm before the storm, because it's not that, still it is a comparative calm. How is that possible? As terrible as things are in so many respects, as much suffering and death as there is, how could this possibly be tantamount to a quasi-calm before the storm? Only in relation to how bad things are going to get. That by comparison and contrast to how things are going to get, contrary to the projections of the president, I suggest that this is, that this constitutes a comparative calm before the storm. And that what is coming is something that will be not entirely disagreeable to the followers of Bernie Sanders. But moving along, Mark Cuban, the cube man, Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban, Mark, whatever the correct pronunciation according to Mark is. Billionaire, multi-billionaire. You know, it has been rumored that Mark may run for president. Now, normally, normally, it is laughable, really, to think in terms of someone entering a United States presidential race with Such a short time to go. Not speaking of in yesteryear, 100 years ago, or so forth. But in this day and age, this is ridiculously late to enter the race. However, circumstances are you know, a wee bit out of the ordinary, shall we say. So even though we have such a short time until the presidential election, less than seven months, there is plenty of time, really, to... To win over vast swaths of the electorate. Now, Mark Cuban, he keeps appearing and uh, fielding questions, being interviewed. It reminds me of the line, and I'm paraphrasing badly, but methinks she doth protest too much. Well, Mark, in a manner of speaking, continues to protest that, no, he probably won't run for president. He probably won't. He can't rule it out absolutely. You know, never say never. You know, 
Well, that cliche. But, no, he's not really entering the race for president. Not really, but you never know. (laughs) Well, he, of course, is an independent, so to speak. You know, that can mean all manner of things. And he did contemplate making a third-party run for president last year, back when it wasn't so late in the game, right? And even back in 2017, when the timing would have made the most sense to really go after it. But he punted instead. However, things have changed. Circumstances have changed. And he says, and this is an incredible statement. This could have come directly from Donald Trump, but it's from Mark Kuban. It must be something about billionaires. Quote, I'm not just going to say no. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing communication from these billionaires. But. Moving on, something that I mentioned previously. I stated that, you know, the airlines are suffering horribly. The cruise lines suffering horribly. And the cruise lines were not included in the corporate bailout. The cruise ship lines. And that... Not that I would be interested necessarily in investing if I had all the money in the world. But if I were fabulously rich, I would have better things to do with my money. But if I were, if I woke up tomorrow and I had a couple hundred billion dollars to play with, that what an opportune time to purchase Airlines and cruise lines. Now, that's assuming that they won't be shut down for the next few years. But their valuations just through the floor. (laughs) These companies, these once prosperous companies are struggling to keep out of bankruptcy. Well, I just happened to see. A week ago now, that and I didn't I didn't care to mention it in a couple previous programs, a few previous programs, but this well-known cruise line Carnival, Carnival Corporation, which has lost eighty percent of its stock valuation in the last year. Well, lo and behold, Saudi Arabia, Islamist. Saudi Arabia, its sovereign fund, public investment fund, PIF, it bought a modest portion of the company's stock, 8.2%. So who is it that's in charge of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, PIF. None other than, you guessed it, BFF of Donald Trump, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The one who ordered the assassination murder of Jamal Khashoggi at the embassy in Istanbul. but purchased a mere 8.2% so far. And then there was a rally in the stock because, oh, oh, that was so hopeful and so forth. It probably hasn't seen the bottom yet. Meanwhile, speaking of large seagoing vessels, the Theodore Roosevelt, the USS Theodore Roosevelt, the first sailor 
on the TR to die from COVID-19 passed away the other day. It was stated that approximately 12% of the crew have already tested positive for COVID-19. By my rough calculations, that equals approximately 575 people of a crew of 4,800. Perchance, there was reason, good reason, extremely compelling reason for Captain Brett Crozier to plead with the U.S. Navy for assistance. But his letter became public. He was sacked. He was fired by this arrogant Captain Quig figure, acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley, whom the administration wisely forced to resign in their damage, their damage-protecting mode. Yes. It was a wise, belated decision. He never should have been put in that post. He was unfit for that position. But, Arrogant people, they, you know, gravitate to arrogant people. So, in any case, the TR has lost its first sailor to COVID-19. Hopefully, there will not be many more fatalities there. But the Trump administration swung swiftly into damage control mode and did remove Maudley prior to that. Meanwhile, in that part of the world, that part of the world meaning Asia, meaning Orient Asia, the TR in Guam, as far as I know, in Hong Kong, Communist China's Hong Kong, it is Communist China's Hong Kong courtesy of Britons having ceded it to communist China. It did so as a direct result of outrageously cowardly leaders in Britain. But it was stated a week ago that 130 Hong Kong police would be quarantined after colleagues were found to have been infected with COVID-19. Now, what, what does that matter? Just this. What relevance does that have for us? Just this. Crime does not take a holiday. I have been erring on the side of not mentioning various terrible Crimes that have been recently committed and are being investigated and prosecuted and what have you. But crime does not take a holiday. On the contrary, there's a great deal of seizing advantage in vulnerable circumstances to prey upon people. And here in Hong Kong, this vast city, great population, very dense population, where up until this time they have not suffered a great deal in the way of infections, much less mortality, to my surprise, because it is a very, very, very densely packed population. But quarantining this large number of police, 
really puts a lot of people in jeopardy. And such frontline people as these police, nurses, doctors, EMTs, police, and what have you, here in the United States of America and around the world, they are, in fact, at greatest risk. Not because they don't have the advantages of modern medicine available to them, but because they are in continual contact with a great many people, some of whom may be infected, some of whom are infected, and so forth. But should a vast number of police in New York City in Washington, D.C., in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, and so forth, be quarantined? Do you imagine for one moment that there won't be repercussions from that in the form of greater outbreak of violent crime? Down in Puerto Rico of the United States of America, where the numbers of police have fallen greatly as a result of two things in particular. One is members of the police force leaving the force, resigning. And then others retiring and failure to replace them. This massive attrition has led to horrendous outbreaks of gangland-style crime taking place in broad daylight throughout San Juan, Puerto Rico. So, how does that have any connection with this? Direct connection. You reduce the number of police on the streets and available, and it emboldens the vicious, violent criminals. It is just... Cause and effect situation here. Not only in the United States of America, but throughout the free world and perhaps the less than free world. Circumstances are such that it has been stated that The world is facing another Great Depression. Another Great Depression, not recession, not downturn in the economy, but a Great Depression. International Monetary Fund Chief Hanchette, Kristalina Georgieva, stated, Quote, we anticipate the worst economic fallout since the Great Depression. End quote. Well, so what is it that's causing this Great Depression, if it is coming, this looming Great Depression, this specter of a Great Depression? What's causing that? Well, obviously. Brad, come on. It's obviously it's the coronavirus. It's COVID-19, this pandemic. That's what's causing it. Is it really? Is it? Well, is it the pandemic or is it the reaction to it? Is it the measures being taken to stem the tide of this pandemic. Well, wait a minute. Those measures would never be taken if it weren't for this pandemic. So therefore, it's the pandemic. Is it? Is this pandemic, is COVID-19, is the coronavirus or coronavirus or 
pronounce it any way you like, is it sufficiently virulent to justify socialist, communist, fascist, governmental measures being taken to try to deal with it, is it? There have been much more virulent plagues and pestilence down through history than this. Is this COVID-19 hitting certain population groups especially hard? Absolutely. Native American Indians, Alaska Natives, indigenous people groups, absolutely. Elderly who have pre-existing health conditions. And all persons with severely and or less severely compromised immune systems, to name but a few. And certainly, frontline workers. But, is the cure worse than the ill? I've mentioned a couple times now about various economists who have questioned this, questioned this premise, questioned the idea of going to quasi-draconian measures to try to stem the tide of this pandemic. Whether it is really merited and whether it is the best course of action, One thing is sure, that if these measures are enacted to the most extreme degree and are maintained for the greatest length of time that has been spoken of, it will result in complete, utter, total destruction, not just of some abstract economy, but of virtually all businesses, all farming, all ranching, industry across the board, irrevocably destroyed. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.